Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The gap to Red Bull's too big. I think you're not going to close that in a season. Unfortunately, that's it's, it's just that's the case of F1, and especially in the cost cap era, it, the, it's going to take a total redesign. First back-to-back GP of the season is over, with Mercedes salvaging P4 and P6 from a difficult weekend in Miami. With the best part of 10 days and the teams rock up at Imola and the long away to W14 updates are seen on track, we're here to study the ins and outs of the weekend just gone by asking, why did Mercedes look so good in practice one? What factors influenced Hamilton's poor qualifying? And just how well did the strategy team do to maximise the race result for George and Lewis? Join me, Balf Baines, on this episode of the Silver Arrows podcast as we discuss all the main talking points from the Miami Grand Prix. Rather fittingly, for a race that required a bit of strategic thinking, we welcome back ex-Mercedes strategist and former head of strategy at Haas, Mike Caulfield. Mike, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. Um, yeah, looking forward to chatting through this one. A uh, bit more interesting than Baku, so... It's uh, definitely an understatement, definitely uh, more exciting than Baku. And equally excitingly, we have our in-house F1 fanatic and lead engineer in the F1 space, Tom Fletcher. Tom, again, as always, good to have you back. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you for having me back again. It's uh, it's our pleasure as well. So let's start by chatting broadly. Otherwise, this was a bit of a rollercoaster of a weekend for Mercedes. But do you think taking everything into account, the team will be happy coming back to Europe with a P4 and P6, Tom? Yes, uh, definitely. I think from from their performance in qualifying, um, which was uh, really uh, the, the worst of the season so far, um, they they... Both drivers had a had a really good turnaround um, during the race and and brought home yeah P P four and P six really really good so yeah all good. Do you, do you think it was a good race, Mike, for for the for the W fourteen and Mercedes team? Yeah, I, I, I definitely. I can't say it was a bad race, was it? It's it's, it's 
more improved than than what we've seen in, in previously. You're obviously still not on that final step of the podium, so it's it's that kind of still looking for there. But you got to be encouraged by the performance relative to Ferrari at least. Um, and so yeah, it's 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 a little bit mixed. I mean, the race the race performance was good um, in general. Um, yeah, but both both cars in, 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 at the end of the day. Yeah, and you talked about Ferrari there, Mike. What about? Aston Martin, I know uh, Alonso got P3, but how do you think, if you compare the Mercedes to the Aston Martin, how do you think that they are doing? Um, yes, I mean, the Aston Martin, at least with Alonso, like, it seems pretty consistent. They seem to be kind of quite neutral across all tracks, so they don't seem to have any these kind of fluctuations in performance for, for maybe Merck having, having in, like, for example, in Lewis's qualifying, obviously... Um, Stroll qualified down the down the grid, so it's a little bit of split between two. But that seemed to be a feature across the whole grid um, this weekend. Partly, I think maybe due in Q3 at least was due to the obviously the red flag. But um, yeah, there, there wasn't many teammates who actually qualified close to each other. So I think this weekend with um, the resurfacing of the of the circuit and a number of things, it, it, it caused a few issues for a few teams, and you didn't see that kind of team ranking in, in qualifying that you normally do. So. Um, yeah, so I think with Aston Martin, it's it's hard to say. I think Imola is going to be a better representation of maybe where the teams stand relative to each other rather than this weekend, which was a little bit more of a kind of a up and down weekend throughout the whole field. It was an up and down weekend with Alonso even having enough time to watch TV. So uh, that's always a, always a great thing. But let's go to, to Lewis then, Tom. So obviously it was all compromised before lights out on Sunday with a disappointing 13th in quality. So what do you think happened there? Yeah, so they were marginal in the top 10, um, Mercedes um, in quality. Um, so that that really uh, meant that they were they were kind of stuck really because, because of the, the nature of the circuit and how track evolution became really important towards the end of quali. Um, they were they were forced to take the risk of, of running, of trying to be the last across the line, um, just to make in, make it inside the top 10, um, which which then becomes a problem because everyone else is trying to do the same thing. Um, so yeah, you get you get this concertina effect where everyone is on the track at the same time, um, all trying to do their prep laps, get the tires into the window. And I think Lewis, he he ended up um, getting a bit tied up in in traffic and and just didn't get his tyres warm enough for for the the uh, initial sector one, which is where he, he lost out to uh, to uh, to Russell. But yeah, Russell only marginally in the top ten. Um, so so yeah, that's that's where it was lost really in quality. Well, like I said, yeah, qualifying there. I mean, throughout even in Q one, you you kind of saw the the Mercs, which were the they weren't kind of competing from the off. You, you always thought it was a struggle. I mean, you obviously got the performance in at the end of Q1, which jumped them up the field, but you kind of, this is where you compare it to other cars and you compare it to kind of the Red Bull and straight away they're at the top of the timesheets. They're not having to kind of try and play something a little bit clever. Um, I know the track evolution was high, but you, you want to kind of match that. And with the like kind of lack of degradation on the tyres as well, you could almost kind of play that in. And Merck seemed to really struggle in that sense. Um like Tom said, that like George only just got through to Q3 as well. So it's it, it was definitely the the qualifying performance was definitely a weak point of the Merck's Merck car this weekend. And I kind of think it was a point I made a couple of weeks ago as well, though it kind of indicates their car is like it seems to be good on the on the tyres in terms of kind of race situations. The race pace is always better. 
which kind of just gives that indication that they are just struggling to get the kind of tyres in that right window for qualifying that one lap pace. Um, they just can't, can't quite get the temperature in. And even once they get the temperature in, they've taken away that peak grip, maybe on that like lap one or lap three performance in it. So I think that's where the kind of difficulties are happening, but it then plays them back in the race. But like if you're starting from 13th, you're always up against it. And I think the recovery was well in the end for to get the end finishing positions like Lewis did especially. But yeah, it's I think it's an aspect of the car. They need to improve that quality pace just to give them a good starting chance in the race, really. Um, and obviously, they don't want to degrade, degrade the race pace too much because then you go into a Ferrari situation where um, they're very, very good in qualifying and potentially challenging for pole in a number of circuits, but in the race pace, they're, they're nowhere. Um, and as you saw this weekend, yeah, that foundation for quality is is so so important. Uh, Mike, you mentioned that uh, alternative strategy that he used going starting on the hards. So, how do you think that worked out for him? He took a while to get going into the group, but he seemed pretty happy by the end of the race. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Um, obviously, I think you, you look at the split on the field and how a lot of teams. I think it was seven teams in general that split the, between the medium and hard runners. You're always going to offer the lead car the medium tyre just because the hard offers that unknowns. And I think with the amount of rain which we saw over on Saturday night, like apparently it was like monsoon conditions, so it really kind of cleaned the track in terms of the, the rubber going down. There was that little bit of an unknown going into the race of what the tyres were actually going to do. Um, so, yeah, it's it's one of those ones where you, if you're a bit unsure on the medium, and as we saw, we saw graining on the medium on that first stint, which often happens with uh, with a green track, then it's generally a good idea to split the cars in that one. And especially when you had that split between the um, the the grid positions um, of a number of cars, then it, it made sense. Um, you're kind of looking at it, though, in terms of it, it was risky in a sense. I mean, if a safety car had come out from kind of lap 11 to like lap 25, 26 onwards, it would have been really hamstrung by that. All the medium cars would have been a pit and you, you're not going to be able to have taken that stop. But luckily that obviously didn't happen. Um, and actually it then worked out well for him. But in that early part of the race, I think he was probably hoping that a few cars ahead of him weren't also on that hard tyre. So obviously he had Hulkenberg, he had um, Ocon. So there was a number of cars directly around him on that same tyre. And um, I think obviously there was lack of grip at the start. So trying to get that kind of tyre temperature into it at the beginning of the race. Um, and plus, again, even you didn't know what the medium was going to do and you didn't really know what the hard was going to do. So it was still in the back of the team's mind as well that you probably, you might have needed to manage it at that beginning of that stint because you still needed to be able to take that hard to a certain length to, to be able to capitalise on that strategy by fitting that medium and be able to push at the end. Um, but as we saw, obviously, they actually managed it quite well and it, and it, it actually paid off in the end. Um, but I think there was a lot of unknowns and you could see by the strategy choices up and on the field that the teams went into this race a little bit blind. So I think it was the correct decision to sign and split the cars and and it worked out quite well in the end. Yes, something something interesting. I, I was listening into Hamilton's radio and uh, the, the, his side of the garage were quite shocked by um, how many how many other teams were, were on, the, on the hards as well or choosing to start on the hards. Um, they thought they'd maybe... They they put put a little sneaky sneaky move there, um, but yeah, I think um, Hamilton he he got he initially got off to a good start, but then instantly got stuck in a DRS train, which may not have been a bad thing because what you could see was he was 
clever as always using using that phase of the race to maybe save save some more fuel relative to everyone else so he was doing a lot of lifting coast um in in that phase um and but then again he he did lose that initially quite quite a bit of time um to 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 the rest of the field um i think it was it wasn't until lap 16 where the train was broken and then he was able to pass um so yeah all that all, all of that looked really good um there was there was a good um, overcut um, on Hulkenberg, um, where basically he's he's come in, put swapped to the mediums, and then gone a little bit slower um, uh, to, to Hamilton, who's on on the much warmer, but arguably slightly older, uh, harder tire, um, and then then again getting the the um, the undercut done on on uh, Ocon, um, yeah, really really good stuff, um, and then coming through. Blasting through the field on the mediums is, uh, was particularly impressive. Getting getting Leclerc at the end. Something I did notice also is that the the Ferraris maybe started off a bit quicker um, during the race for whatever reason. Maybe maybe uh, uh, they were able to use a bit more fuel at that stage, and then and then slightly leaning the car off towards the end. Uh, it's hard to tell, um, but yeah, um, Mercedes really uh, really gained on on the Ferraris towards the end. Really, really impressive. I think the thing with the Ferraris was more that, um, again, it goes down to that tyre aspect. I think they're just better in the tyres in that early stage of the race where you needed the the temperature, but you see in that long run that they just dropped off at the end, both both Sainz and the, and the third just struggled in, in that aspect. The one thing which was interesting to me, and, and like in that early part of the race, it was... I don't know, like, I listened to some of the comments and it kind of felt that, that some of Lewis's comments coming on that he was struggling in that kind of straight and he was making the the aspects that the, the car wasn't behaving as it should do. But there was also one thing about Penicate is that how long he was stuck behind Hulkenberg for and he just couldn't make that overtake. Um, and I don't know, like, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm definitely not going to criticise one of the best, the best driver, like, the sports ever seen, but it almost seems to me like that battling for 12th, he's, he's, he just lost that little bit of edge where sometimes he kind of would have put a move in if he was that pushing for that kind of podium bit, but he just seemed to like kind of not take a risk that potentially he would have done. Um, and I don't know if it's just because he doesn't have the confidence in the car at the moment, um, but it, it kind of felt like that kind of hamstrung his race a little bit, but luckily he then played it a little bit better later on where he can... He actually, once he started to get that performance and he was starting to make positions, it looked like the like Lewis of old. So that was kind of one thing I took from that. But I was I was surprised that he he wasn't making the progress. Whereas you can compare to kind of Verstappen, how easy of progress he made. Okay, he's in a lot faster car, but it's just some of the some of the potential of it. He could have made a bit of progress earlier on in the race, and he actually did. And I don't know if that's a consequence of the car or Lewis himself, like just playing a longer game on those kind of tyres and the strategy he was on. Agreed totally with Mike. I think um, I think he was a little bit timid at the start. Um, when compared to Russell, you know, went after his pit stop onto the mediums, he was he was really punchy through all the traffic, um, really decisive moves, getting onto the back of the, the, the back markers and, and, and nailing them straight away. 
um, which which is really important and and, and is, a, is a big key to his race as well. I want to touch on that strategy that you just mentioned there, Mike. As an expert in the field, you may be able to help Twitter user Keb Elo, who is wondering why so many races this year are one stoppers. I don't think it's unexpected. I mean, it's it's the nature of the circuits at the moment. Um, like so, Bahrain wasn't a one stop. That was um, already a two stop, which you'd expect it to be. I mean, Melbourne. Melbourne's always a one-stop. Baku traditionally should be a one-stop. I mean, around here as well, especially with the resurfacing as well, you're going to expect it to be that. So it's the nature of these courses. I mean, generally the two-stop races start to happen by nature in the second half of the, cir- second half of the season. Street circuits just by the surface, in the track surface, and with the tight compounds you can bring, um, are always going to, go towards a one stop it's it's just the nature of it just with, with, with how they're going to be once you get to the like proper circuits like barcelona especially with the changes to the circuit which they made is going to be that borderline 1v2 silverstone the same would be 1v2 um and so you start going down once we get to the kind of what you class as traditional circuits i think you start going to get back into multi-stop races um, it's it's just the nature of these kind of circuits. I don't think it's anything this season which has um, which has changed this kind of strategic element. Normally, this part of the season and these circuits, you're always expecting them to be one-stop races anyway. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Let's move on to George then, Tom. So do you think as far as he's concerned, would it be fair to say that he probably maximized everything he could out of the car this weekend in Miami? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another great performance again by George. Um, off the line, great start, getting past Gasly, I think it was lap one. Um, and, and that was really key for him, I think, is to get that that clear air while the Ferrari was fast um, and and. He can he can sort of sit back and, and preserve his his mediums a little bit um, uh, without without getting held up by a slower car in front. Um, and again, yeah, he was he was punchy through through the traffic after his stop. Really impressive. Um, and then then he had that really really good move on science at the end. Um, so yeah, he, I think he he absolutely uh, excelled in this race. Yeah, he definitely did excel. So, uh, Mike, strong performance in quali, like Tom just mentioned, strong race pace, and he seemed to be happy as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 
that's that's the best they could have really hoped for. So, and like, you, like you said, he made some great overtaking moves. He's made some progress up the field. So, I, I don't think there's anything more that he can get out the car. It's, um, I mean, he's as happy as he's going to be. These, these guys are racers. So, I, I think I made a comment um, just off, the, off to, to someone the other day after the race that... It's 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 interesting that you're seeing these cars fighting for third place, and none of them really happy about being third. They're, they're, that's the thing; they want to win the race. So, like, you get these interviews after the race, and like, you got George and you got Alonso, and like, they're as happy as they can be. But really, unless they're on that top step, or at least fighting for that top step, they're still going to be a little bit, little bit miffed about it. But I think George has generally seen progress this weekend, and and considering. We know there's flaws in the car and there's flaws in the performance, and you can still see it taking it to Ferrari. and And Alonso's not miles down the road either; he's he's within touching distance. I think that's a little bit of encouragement as well to the drivers, so they can see that okay, we don't need a lot to bring us into play here. Um, and it's not like there's two teams off in the distance who we can't chat. It's it's, it's just the Red Bulls out in front. Yeah, the uh, the Aston Martin is definitely reachable. I want to both ask you a question that might be controversial. I was thinking about this over the weekend. So, Tom, let's go to you first. Who do you think is the number one driver at Mercedes? <laughs> uh, yes, that is a very good question. I think um, for what we've seen over one lap, it, it's going to be Russell. Um, he, he always has the edge in quali. Um, I can't really argue with that. Um, but then, uh, well, having said that, actually, I can <laughs> um, because maybe it's it's something that Lewis is doing to maybe set the car up for 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 better race pace. You know, it's um, it's, it's something you can't really you're not going to know as an outsider, um, and, and it's something that the Mercedes is going to know in better detail. Um, like I said, Hamilton. Nine times out of ten, he's he has more consistent uh, race pace. He he manages his tyres a little bit better, maybe, um, and and you can see that with with the way he's finished races this year as well as well as last year. Um, so yeah, I would not like to put money on it. I think they're so close and they are incredibly impressive um, uh, compared to the rest of the field. I think I think they are really going to give Verstappen a run for his money. Um, once they get the, 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 the right equipment to do so. Let's get the tools right, then we can um, go for Verstappen and go for Red Bull. Mike, what do you think? Who's the number one driver, Russell or Hamilton? I mean, knowing how Merck work, knowing how Toto works, they don't have one. I mean, it's it's very much a case of, like, whoever qualifies first will get preference on strategy, will get preference on, on, the, on the calls. Um, and then they kind of have rules engagement. If they're close to each other in the race, and one of them's clearly faster and holding up and affecting the team overall, then there'll, there'll be orders for the car holding up to to take preference. Um, that's the way Merck have always worked. I don't believe they've changed it since since I left. I think that's kind of always been the case. And I think if you had one car who was clearly faster in competing for the championship, there would be that opportunity for that, that driver to take that preference of, of a strategy or something. But... The way Merck have always worked, they always concentrate on the constructors, so they always work on what's best for the team. So I'd put my money on that they don't have a number one driver purely. Um, they, they don't. Uh, until until someone was clearly defined, even with the Bottas and Hamilton days, they, there was not a number one driver. There was, again, a case of race-by-race race scenario, and unfortunately just 
well, Valtteri at least, but Lewis was very much the dominant driver, so he, he got the preference in, in that kind of situation most of the time. You should be a politician there, Mike. That's a very dip- diplomatic answer. Uh, I like it. We'll have to take <laughs> take some lessons from you, Mike. So uh, after all of that, it would be easy to forget that Merck actually headed practice one with a one-two, and there was a lot of excitement for what turned out to be a false dawn. So, Tom, what do you think caused that illusion? It's difficult to tell, really. Um, all all weekend, Mercedes, I think, have been struggling a little bit, again, with their, their slow speed. So, um, from corners, corners T11, I think, T, T11 to 16, the really slow technical, big curbs, um, really slow speed corners. The car is just far too stiff. Um, they're having to make the car stiff so they can they can get the floor to work properly. Um, so yeah, that's that's where they're losing out. Um, and I think another another problem I think they were having is that if you if you t- if you to isolate the floor and the diffuser of the car, um, the the center of pressure that it, it, it generates is is far too far forward um, for, for whatever reason. Maybe the diffuser is not working as efficiently as they like, or um, maybe maybe even the front of the floor. So so if you look at the Mercedes car, you can see um, near to where the driver is. There's that crinkling section of floor. Maybe maybe that's working too efficiently, causing some localized suction points that, that maybe not predicted. Um, but anyway, what's happening is you're getting this um, this this forward movement in the center of pressure, which is making the rear unstable at high speed. So. They're having to counteract that with with a bigger wing on the rear, um, but then that that brings its own negatives. You, you lose straight line performance, as we know. Um, but yeah, it's it's also hindering on slow speed entry. So um, what's happening is it's causing the front to push on a little bit, maybe. Um, uh, so so yeah, um, that's that's where they're losing most of their time. Um, however, the the track was green. Um, I think. Maybe maybe it was a fact of them them being out last uh, on the soft tire. There was brand new soft, brand new soft, so it sort of made their performance. It flattered their performance basically, um, opposed to the them being generally much quicker than everyone else. Um, also, uh, going through into into uh, FP two and three, uh, perhaps the circuits also come to the other guys as well. So. Um, sort of bringing bringing their their uh, their um, high speeds high the high corner speeds closer to Merck's, um, um and then yeah they're losing like I said they're losing in in slow speeds so yeah for me I don't think it was anything um, obvious I think it's probably. Uh, the track coming to the other guys Mike what do you think the polar opposites of practice and what happened in quali and also what happened in the race as well. Practice is always a difficult one to read really because everyone's doing their own kind of program. Um, especially free practice one, it's it's always run out of representative conditions compared to, to the race and qualifying. So I think obviously them leading FP1 is is 
clearly wasn't a true ref- reflection. I think everyone's kind of doing something. We don't know what the test Mercedes were doing at that point, where they maybe kind of testing some some new aspects um, of the car, um, some new parts, and then either running a higher power mode where they were testing something out on that side of things. Um, so yeah, you, you obviously you look at that. I think what you what we know even getting to the point where they start going into the new, the, bringing the new car or the new chassis or the new whatever whatever changes they're bringing formula and going forward is that the car's not going to make the jump where it's suddenly going to be beating the Red Bull. So if you're going into a free practice session and the lead in the lead in the free practice session, it's it's always going to be a, a, a situation where it's not the the true a true picture as as say. Um, you're also getting to a point in the season now where people are starting to use their engines more and more. So they're starting to get to a point where it's getting closer to the to the time where um where the engine life's starting to run limited. So the power modes which people are running in practice are going to be more different to to what potentially earlier in the season where the engines are fresher throughout the field. There may be reliability concerns. So you're gonna get more variance in practice sessions there as well. So maybe this is a an example of a the Merck reliability or or that aspect of the the engine is they're able to run it with that little bit more power in these practice sessions compared to some of the other teams who are who are a little bit more critical on their on their engine mileage and stuff. So we're actually running a bit a bit more lower to just protect that reliability. So there's lots of unknowns and and quite honestly, I'm guessing it in in in, in a lot of these ones. Um, I think you always though you get. A, generally a true reflection in fp2 in in most cases it might not be the full kind of delta picture of it but as long as it's an uninterrupted practice it's generally at the right time of day for kind of what the race and qualifying is going to be so you kind of get a good picture there or thereabouts of where you're going to stand in both the low fuel and high fuel if you dig into the numbers in that bit and i think once fp2 this weekend kind of showed that yeah they were they obviously weren't that performance in fp1 and it's Qualifying was going to be a little bit more of a struggle, but still that high fuel performance was still better relatively compared to that that low fuel running. Yes, it's definitely a good point there. Uh, Mike, I want to stay on you if I might. So George Russell struggled in his first practice stint with a new test item on his steering wheel. Nuka got in touch on Twitter to ask if you have any idea of what it was. I wasn't quite sure. Like I heard these comments on the radio and how he, he said it was, was undrivable and he wanted to change it. Um I'm not sure if it was anything major or if it was it was potentially just the case that the steering wheel alignment was off in, in, in the sense that like it was crabbing down the straights in that respect where it can be really off putting to the drivers if they if they don't at this and it could it can be a case of it's not just a misalignment, it's requiring a full kind of check of the whole suspension system, which takes that time to kind of fix it. So I'm not sure if it was a test item or so, or just potentially a, a slight setup issue, which um, caused that kind of misalignment. And it can be really off-putting to the driver, especially if it's quite a big offset. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'd be guessing if I if I knew which one, um, what exactly was that kind of cause of, the, of that. But that's what it kind of sounded like to me from from the few radio comms which came through. Tom, what's your thoughts? Do you have any idea of what that was? on his steering wheel if via the, through the pictures we're seeing or any of the radio messages? To be honest, we, we don't really know. It's it's something that Mercedes are going to obviously keep quite, quite close to their chest. If it's a, if it's a development item, we don't, they're not going to really share what, what they're up to. Um, I have heard there are a few conspiracy theories thinking it's, it's Das Mark II. 
Um, whether or not that's the case, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I thought DAS wasn't really legal anymore. Um, so maybe what I was thinking is more of a, a, a progressive rack, um, maybe something that they were testing at, at a pure guess. Um, maybe um, maybe yeah, as as you get closer to the lock stops, it, it increases the uh, the slip angle of the tyres maybe a little bit more. Um, so, so say you're weaving behind a safety car, you might be able to generate some some more um, front end tire um, tire temperature, um, effectively doing what DAS was, but in in a less efficient way. Um, but but that that might be something that they're looking into. It's probably not. It's it's probably just a something that they're trying um, in in order to to match up with their updates that they're going to be bringing. Um, at, the, at the next race, um, unfortunately, but yeah, I can think we'll, we'll just have to wait and see, um, and I'm sure it will come out in in the wash. Yeah, no, we'll, it definitely will have to wait and see. On the upgrade front, there was none for Mercedes this weekend, but obviously the next race at Imola will see the long-awaited upgrades that Mercedes have been referencing literally since the day they launched the W14. During the weekend just gone, Toto confirmed they're introducing new bodywork, a new floor, and a new front suspension. He's talked about it being a baseline rather than a one second faster than the Red Bull. So, Mike, how hard is it going to be to make those upgrades work satisfying enough in time for quali at Imola? It's, I mean, first off, like it's a general target for a lot of teams, but the first European race of the season is where the big upgrades are going to come. So I don't think he just expects Mercedes to bring a big package. I think you'll see quite a few teams bring a number of parts just purely due to like kind of location, um, ease of kind of transport and just a target really. But flyaways, especially in back-to-back, so back in Miami, it's it's difficult to kind of get the logistics and get everything out and, and done for that. And as well, it's unusual to kind of bring upgrades to kind of street circuits just for like the proximity of the walls and the risk of kind of damaging what you might be in that first iteration, limited parts of it. So a lot of teams um, just don't take that risk. I think, as Toto said, you're trying to get a baseline for it. They're obviously encouraged by kind of like um, numbers which are seen through the simulations and wind tunnel. Um, but it's, it's until you see on the track where it kind of stands as I think you'll have to have quite a bit of faith in Mercedes in terms of of how they've developed the cars in previous years. However, you've also got to say that the car isn't where they expected it to be this year. So is there something fundamental in the car as a whole and these upgrades are going to fix it? But if it's only a baseline and some cover parts, that's where we kind of time will tell. I mean, the gap to Red Bull is too big. I think you're not going to close that in a season. Unfortunately, that's it's, it's just that's the case of F1, and especially in the cost cap era. It, the, it's going to take a total redesign. And by the sounds of what Toto's saying, it's not a total redesign. And plus, in the time frame since Bahrain testing to Imola, I'd be very surprised if you could do that kind of amount of work, design, processing, wind tunnel testing, with all the limitations you have in the modern day regs, it's it's just not possible. I think where he kind of says it's baseline, it's the kind of start building this process going forward throughout the year. You're getting something on the car, making sure it works, making sure it correlates with what the wind tunnel says it's going to bring, actually seeing it on the track in terms of kind of the balance handling, driver feedback, and then you can start building on it throughout the rest of the season, knowing obviously as well that 
this goes forward into the regs for next season and and on the future. Uh, so, as a worst case scenario, it, this is kind of like, and again, I'm I'm guessing it, but a worst case scenario, they bring this concept to the car and bring the new package, and if it doesn't work, this is when the decision has to make: do they totally abandon this concept they're going down and try and recover, basically for next season. If they see something positive from this and see something recoverable, it might be a chance of, right, we can start progressing now throughout the season, bring devs this season further on as the season goes on, and challenging for a competitive car at the beginning of 2024. Um, so I think this is where kind of, it's my interpretation of what total means by baseline, but this is kind of almost a first step for the 2024 challenger of like, is this the concept we can continue down or do we really need to kind of change what we're doing if what we bring this weekend doesn't work right we need a really big rethink of it so it's going to be an interesting weekend and but i think it might be a bit more subtle in terms of suddenly seeing a jump up the field and then challenging red bull for pole positions and the race wins and stuff it just might be a bit more case of listening to the driver comments hopefully seeing a bit more consistent performance in terms of balance and then and then, yeah, and just kind of maybe some of the issues in terms of kind of um, the qualifying prep, the tyre warm-up and stuff, um, maybe might be a more positive impact with what, what is brought in Emily. We started to see, looking to the future with Alison coming back in and also Mike Elliott going to another role. So, Mike, appreciate you sharing. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining us here on the Silver Arrows podcast. Thank you for having me. It was good fun. Thank you. It's our pleasure. And Mike, as always, uh, uh, thank you for, for joining us here. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Yeah, no, so it's, it's good chatting this and, and, let, and see how it progresses as we go forward. <laughs> and that's all we have time for this week. A massive thank you to Mike and Tom for joining us. And thanks to you for listening. Do remember to follow us on Twitter at MerkEthronPod and hit that follow button in your podcast app. If you're enjoying these episodes and feeling extra kind, drop us a review and share this episode with anybody who you think may enjoy it. We'll see you shortly. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.